Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> Science. Exercise. Nutrition. Health. Energy. Passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. Now, today I am joined by a brilliant and dynamic guest who has devised a revolutionary weight loss program and coaching business to help busy executives manage their weight for life. Adele aims to bridge the gap between what people know and what they do, and her passion is to empower people to achieve their highest state of being. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Adele Tevlin. (laughs) Hi, Adele. Hi, <laughs> Marie. <laughs> so, from, <high> from Canada. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen you. We met in the US last year. Um, mm-hmm. We met at a conference called the Consumer Health Summit. Yes. Um, which was a brilliant conference. Did you, you got a lot out of that? It was a brilliant conference. I mean, I met you, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, no, but, you know, in all seriousness, Michael Fishman, who organizes the conference, is a genius um, and just a, a beautiful soul. And um, I got so I got so much. I mean, I, I think when you invest in personal development and you're around people that are up to big things, you elevate your level of consciousness. So you, I always get something out of conferences. Um, and I, I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Awesome. So, um, so everybody knows a bit more about you go into, (laughs) people don't want to hear me, right? They hear me all the time. It's like, who's that, that Scottish voice? I don't even understand what you're saying. So tell us a bit of background, a little bit of who you are and how you got into this, um, well-being and, and give us all of that. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so, so funny. I'm always like, what's my story? So my, my story is, um, I've always been fascinated with, with people, human behavior. I think I knew from an early age, I wanted to help people. And I grew up in a very, uh, my parents are Russian Jews. And if you know anything about Russian Jews, it's all about, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer and choose one. So my mom was a dentist and I was gearing up to go to dental school. Um, but there was always this nagging inside of me that was like, that's not, that's not how I want to help people. Um, and I knew it was around psychology and all that. So I went to McGill University in, in, um, in Montreal and I studied neuroscience and, and neuropsychology and I got, yeah. And, uh, just became so passionate with, about the brain and behavior. And I also grew up as a ballet dancer. So the link there was, I was around women that struggled with eating disorders. And we know that eating disorders is a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, from an early age, I was curious about why are some people resilient to mental health? Why do some people get, you know, why do people succumb to those addictions? Um, and sort of what's, what's all that going on? So that was my, my beginning of my journey. Um, from, from McGill, I've done, for the last 20 years, I've done any, everything from become a cognitive behavioral therapist, 
trained in NLP and neurosemantics, currently studying at Harvard in the uh, psychology department, doing my master's PhD. Um, and that had been wow. my evolution. Yeah, because I, I believe that the, the more you know and the more you uncover, the more you there is to know. And and the, the addiction and mental health piece has always been there for me. And even in, in my weight loss journey, because I started a weight loss coaching program 12 years ago with CEOs and executives in Toronto, I've always looked at weight loss from, from an emotional place, from from a sort of childhood trauma place. You know, it's not just about eat this, don't eat that, because none of us would struggle. We all know what there is to do, but there's always something in the background, a narrative, a story, a belief, an imprint that's holding us back from achieving our, our level of greatness. I believe that everybody at the level of being, everybody um, can be happy and have have a brilliant life. So that's sort of been my quest. And more recently, um, my evolution in my business is I have my weight loss practice and I have coaches that work with me in my methodology. We combine cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness and nutrition to create sustainable change. Because we all know that the mindset piece is everything. And then separately what I do when I work, when I work with CEOs and leaders is I talk about resilience and mental health and addiction and that type A personality, that all or nothingness. And how do we actually heal that? I believe little kid inside of us, who's looking for something externally to heal, to, to, to validate. So that in a nutshell is, you know, you know, I love the Steve Jobs quote, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking back. And sometimes like I would do these courses and, and go and, and people would be like, well, how is that linked to that? Why are you doing that now? And it's like, I don't know. I just know intuitively that this is where I need to be. Yeah. So I do feel, and I'm going to say this without sounding super corny, I feel so blessed and grateful that I get to do my life's work. Like Mm. there is no question that that's what I'm here to do. Like this is, this is the stuff that lights me up. I can talk about it with you for a five hour podcast. Um, (laughs) so yeah, (laughs) we won't do that now, but (laughs) (laughs) the next one, next one we'll do five. Yeah. The next one block off five hours because it's super convenient. Okay. (laughs) If you enjoyed this one, then Adele Tevlin two will be five hours. If you didn't enjoy this one, Skip the next one. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, Adele. No pressure. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. That's 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 awesome. So, um, talking specifically about weight loss, then. Yeah. um, And um, you know, you talk about it being something childhood or something trying to unlock. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess this is quite hard because, in a way, you've chosen a path which is often the the solution cell. So you're not going to come in and prescribe somebody saying, go do this, go eat that, because then you will be slim. What you're saying is, no, no, we need to sit down and we need to dig around and we need to uncover what it is and try and release that thing or move past it for you then to achieve your weight loss. Okay. So in a short sentence, (laughs) what, what, what could somebody do? What's an actionable tip? I mean, other than working with Adele Tevlin, if I'm if I'm if I'm struggling yeah. with my weight and I'm listening to this podcast now, what mm. what do you suggest? What's the journey? Totally. So the journey is, and so we don't. You know, here's the thing: you don't have to go deep into your childhood trauma to be able to manage your weight. I think that's when you look at levels of evolution or a journey for somebody, uh, that might be, let's say, step five. But where I really help people and where people, where I really think there's a missing in in the industry is people are like on a fad, 30 day cleanse, like you can do anything for two weeks. 
keto, fasting, liquid only, keto. sugar only, yeah, meat only. Yeah, now you know, and meat only. Yeah, it'd be a carnivore diet, like, and all of it on some level works for certain people and doesn't for others. And I think on some level, all of it's fine. And I don't actually prescribe. So this is the key. I don't prescribe to one methodology. I think there's paleo is good for some and keto is for other. I've recently cut out meat and I've been vegan since January. Never felt better. have more energy than I did in my 20s. Not for everybody. I mean, I think it's about tuning in and being body conscious enough to say what works for me. But before that, the key is looking at why I love CBT as a modality, cognitive behavioral therapy, is it tells us that our thoughts predict our behavior always. So our thinking predicts our behavior. So what I mean by that, it's like that narrative in your head. So if someone's trying to lose weight or look at someone who's been a yo-yo dieter. So like often the people that come to us are like, I've tried everything. I've done Weight Watchers. I've done this. And I'm still up and down 20 pounds. Okay. So we know it's not that the person can't lose weight. We know it's not that they're not educated or they don't know better. It's that they're they, they haven't linked what they know with what they do consistently because there's something that gets in a way, we, I call it an automatic thought or permission thought, like, oh, this one beer won't make a difference. Oh, I'll start tomorrow. Oh, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm actually happy like this, the resignation. And so then they feel resignation and it gives them permission to go do the cookie thing in the cupboard and then they feel guilt and shame and then this isn't, they're in the shame cycle. So where yeah. I, where I work with people is put the diet aside for a minute. Like you can Google what's a good diet. You don't need to work with a health practitioner at this point to really know there's so much information out there. It's, you know, anyone can do a keto protocol or a fasting protocol. The, where I think it's important, what's missing in the industry and where there needs to be more people talking about is what's your, what is that blind spot for you? What is that thing? What is that situation or person or feeling that triggers you to go do the behavior? Okay. Because I believe like, let's say your behavior is that every night after work, a lot of my CEO clients, they won't eat a lot in a day. They might come home and then they're ravenous and they're, cause their, their stress is high all day. They come home, their cortisol drops, their parasympathetic system kicks in and they get hungry and then they eat everything in the cupboard. They have no control. Oh yeah, I do. You know? <laughs> That's a huge pattern. I see it all the time. So let's say you're good all day. You're doing keto and paleo and you're, you went to the gym that morning, but every night between six, uh, seven and 10, you binge. Who gives a shit that you're doing keto if you're binging every night? Yeah. That's why yeah. you're 20 you're pounds fooling yourself. Yeah. You're fooling yourself. So I always say to people, my, to answer your question, if, if people could take one thing from me today, because I'm always about giving as much value as possible is look at that one time of day that you're super triggered to eat or to drink and ask yourself some questions like, what's going on? What are the thoughts in my head? Am I stressed about something? What's the narrative? Like, uh, is there a specific person that stresses me out? Maybe it's when I go to like cocktail parties. Maybe it's when I'm with my husband and we're fighting or my kids are annoying me or whatever. Be, look beyond the food Okay, and look at the behavior and look at the pattern. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Okay, so um, let, not, because we're on actionable tips, um, yeah. looking at this. So I've written down some, some ideas of when this behavior happens. Mm -hmm. So as an example mm -hmm. for me, um, and specifically on weight loss, 
I mean, I'm in just for the sake of everybody listening, I'm in fairly good shape, but I would definitely like to lose some more weight. So, hey, weight loss works works for me. So um, my it'll be the morning and I come in and the easiest, it, it, the, 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 the trigger is really looking at the fridge and going, the hell i can't be asked to make any of that crap i mean i don't that doesn't go with that and i don't even know what any of that stuff is so where's the easiest stuff bread there you go thank you peanut butter lovely job that'll be the standard thing so um in in terms of the time i'm usually incredibly busy and um just trying to find something quick to eat um and so it usually is something and, and then it could easily be something poor if it yes good it's the same thing with yeah. being out right you're just look out i need something quickly what's the closest place go there grab that yeah. okay so this is a perfect example so i have two things to say about that because <laughs> i can go on for days like i mean i have some topics that i find like i could just go after it for, for days one is this whole racket that people have about time i don't have time to eat healthy okay so let's let's even explore that concept of time what people don't understand is Time is just another automatic thought. I don't have time because if you really think about it, if you planned a little in advance and said, you know what, I'm going to hard boil eggs for myself tonight before I go to bed so that those are ready in the morning, you've spent as much time as slopping peanut butter on a sandwich. But the problem is, is people aren't thinking, it's true, but people aren't thinking a couple speaking, steps ahead. it's not true because it's eight minutes to boil <laughs> eggs and three yeah, minutes. But you've done it the night that. before. You've done it with <laughs> other things and then you wake up in the morning and they're ready. As it's pretty example. close. It's pretty close. Yeah. Or you, or you blend, a, you put protein powder in a, in a smoothie and you blend that. So my point in saying it is, is it's not time consuming to eat well. It just requires to be two steps ahead of yourself and to think big picture. Like I always say to my clients, why are you surprised that you're going to be hungry at lunch? You know, you're hungry at lunch every day, right? So why don't we think a couple steps ahead? It's It's a good question because that's me every day. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, why are you surprised you need to sleep eight hours a night? Like that kind of happens every day. So here's the good news. We live in a modern time that you can get healthy anywhere. You can literally go to McDonald's and get a salad. You can go to Tim Hortons or that's a Canadian brand and get like a keto thing now. Like you, we don't live 10 years ago. We don't live even five years ago. All this stuff is super accessible. It just, what it requires is that the goal supersedes the thought, like the commitment to losing weight has to be greater than the circumstances because People ask me all the time, how do you, because for me, I work out every morning. I eat really well. Um, to me, it's a priority. Like it's so much a priority that it's, it's what I do in the morning before anything else happens because the commitment supersedes everything else for me. I know that in order for me to be my best with my clients and out in the world, I actually have to practice what I preach and feel good. So I've structured my life where between eight and nine in the morning, I'm at the gym. I know what my breakfast is going to be. I repeat the same thing over and over again. And it's funny because Mark Zuckerberg talks about this. When you look at like people like Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, they wear the same thing every day. They eat the same thing every day. Every day. There's a reason for that. Because when you're trying to change a behavior, don't overcomplicate your life. Just do the same thing every day for a while until you've created the neural networks and the pattern of behavior. So, so you, I know, kind of, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, Mike Tyson, he says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, I like to say everyone has a morning routine until they have kids. I have kids too. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sorry, because 
I don't know whether I'm going to be getting got up between four and you know and 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 six thirty, but I'm definitely going yeah. to get you know. And and then you say, well, you need to move it early, and you're like, well, how early am I on? And 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 there's all those things. Yeah. But then you could be saying it is just excuses. How much do you want that thing? So that's going to lead me back into this thing: is mm-hmm. how do you want that thing more? Like like because the mm. the, 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 the 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 position is now right. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. the pain, the pain is great, right? The pain of looking in the mirror and feeling fat or the pain in the, in, of, of, of being commented on or, or not fitting into the dress or the trousers or whatever it is. That's great. The pain of how you feel after going down any addictive route, falling off the wagon and drinking all night. Those pains mm-hmm. are great, yet yeah. they are not mm-hmm. great enough that mm-hmm. we make the small changes, like you're saying, hey, it's only a small change. You just need a little bit of pre-planning. So what is it that stops us from doing that? And or how do we get mm-hmm. a better, more powerful vision? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. What a great question. Thanks. I'm challenging so, yeah. you today. <laughs> yeah, it's not a challenge. It's great. I mean, it's, it's all the things that people need to think about. So let me, let me speak to a couple things because that's, that's kind of a, a loaded question. So when you look at what's, why are people not making the changes even though the pain is high, I would argue and say that the pain isn't high enough for some people. They, they always say like you have to hit rock bottom in order to start recovery. And there's an actual reason for that. The way our brain and our limbic system and every part of our, every aspect of a rational mind, it's like unless the pain is high and is so high for the person that they're like, I am not doing this anymore. It's just not high enough. And we're pleasure seeking animals. Our reward centers is pleasure and geared for dopamine hits. So listen, it takes something to be like, I'm going to have this instant gratification or I'm going to wait. Most people have the instant gratification. So my, my, my thing to you is like, how, how high is the pain really? Or are you always going to choose the thing that's that the path of least is resistance? So that's part one. I, I would say, I don't know that the pain point is high, high enough. The other piece beyond that is, and this is the part that you know we were kind of talking about before we started recording, is we all have a narrative or a set of beliefs. I call them imprints. They're imprints and they're not beliefs. And the distinction is beliefs are superficial. Imprints are, are encoded in our cellular DNA. They're passed on to us from our mom and our dad consciously or subconsciously. Imprints sound things sound like I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. There must be something wrong with me. Life's a struggle. Uh, I have to protect myself. I'm not safe, et cetera. We, we develop these imprints between zero and seven years of age when our brain is in theta wave state. And we're literally subconsciously, we're primed to uh, take every information as a meaning making machine. Okay. Cause we don't have our prefrontal cortex. So we're literally like mom and dad, say things to us or do things around us and we interpret the world around us like it's it's fact. So if you have an imprint called, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, there must be something wrong with me. Those are the people and that dominates. I find in practice that those are often the people that struggle with their weight or addiction because inherently they feel they're flawed and they validate that flawedness by virtue of doing behavior that they know is destructive. Mm. Makes yep. sense. Yeah. So, because it's it's cognitive dissonance. It's like dissonance theory. If you think you're flawed, why are you going to put time into looking amazing and feeling amazing? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If you're flawed, and then you go and you you're always ten pounds overweight, 
or like maybe you smoke or maybe you drink or you do destructive behaviors, it, it reinforces the belief, you know, I'm flawed. So that makes sense. So the work that I do on a much deeper level, and this is when we talked about like step five, is what are the what's that coding that you have? And I have a process by which I take people through to discover their imprints. And and we can talk more about that too. And then from there, there's there's healing work that needs to be done. There's there's almost this rewiring of belief because you believe that to be so true. Like it's part of your identity, like identity is stable. And identity is not stable. We already know this. Identity can change. So if you believe I'm not good enough, which is super arbitrary, why don't you believe I'm I'm whole perfect and complete as I am? I'm I'm I accept my humanity. Yes, I'm flawed. I accept my humanity. So that's a little bit of like the work where, you know, if you're constantly struggling with 10 or 15 pounds and you've tried everything and sort of like it's working, but you're still in this, it's probably, yeah, it's probably because at the core there's, there's this imprint or belief or coding, like there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. And I, like, I know a lot of CEOs who are super successful that have, I'm not good enough. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's oh, why they, that, I'm, yeah. I'm certain that is me all over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, here's the thing. Like we all, even if you have a charmed life or you had a charmed childhood, you still have trauma and trauma doesn't mean you were sexually violated or abused. I, I grew up in a very, very nice loving family, but trauma looks like, um, you know, my parents sent me to live. They're Russian immigrants. They came to Canada from from Russia in the the late seventies, where they were oppressed because they were Jews. They had to leave, and so when they came here, they came here with no money. And my mom was in dental school and all this crazy stuff. So they sent me, as most immigrant parents do, to live with my grandparents in a different country in the U.S. Wow. Okay, I was like two, one and a half. So listen. I'm not blaming my parents for making that decision consciously right now, but I have an imprint maybe that's like, there, there's something wrong with me and my parents didn't want me. Make sense? They didn't do anything wrong. So you got to get that your circumstances in your childhood have a huge, huge weight on how you shape your identity later on life. Like, and so it's not because something bad happened to me. And I think my parents did exactly what, and I would maybe do. It's just that when you're two, you interpret it like, where's mom and dad? Yeah. I'm on my own here, right? So I'm on my own. Look at this as an imprint, which is one of mine. I'm on my own. Okay. Well, then I was single for most of my life, had a child, uh, became a single mother. And it's like it evidence about I'm on my own. Evidence, yeah. evidence. And only in healing and doing the healing work for the last several years, you know, I just told you I recently got engaged. That was only possible. Yeah. It's only possible because of the work I've done, because I had this belief that I'm better off on my own. Yeah. yeah. And so what I'm saying is your external reality is always a reflection of your internal reality and your beliefs. So bringing this back to weight, if you believe there's inherently something wrong with you, you are going to find people, places, and things to validate that belief because it's dissonance theory. Yeah. So you mentioned about, um, so I, and following on from that, the, the yeah. we'll come back to the discover your imprint, imprint yeah. bit, but um, if weight loss is something that um, I or you or anyone listening is struggling with, um, then um, you mentioned CBT a few times. 
um, you'd be, you know, I'm guessing um, to contact a good CBT practitioner or a counselor or a coach or somebody like that. Is that what you would recommend so that you could start yeah. working on some of these, yes. these pieces in the background? I think CBT, uh, man, I think CBT is one of the most powerful psychological modalities um, that there is right now for, and, and statistically, like the research shows that people that uh, use CBT as a modality um, get better results when dealing with anxiety, depression, suicide, OCD, uh, addiction. Um, and I'll tell you, do you want me to tell you why? Is that yeah. sort of where this yeah. is? Okay. <laughs> I don't want to like interview you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing. So why I love CBT is when you think about therapeutic modalities, oftentimes you think about psychotherapy, which is also great. And psychotherapy spends a lot of time in the past, like your childhood which is great. I think it's really important to know where you came from and why you've developed certain things. Why I love CBT is it's all action oriented. It's all about the future. It's all about, okay, great. We're here now. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. It's also really great and practical. Um, by the way, I wish they, they, they should teach this in school to teenagers because it's really effective. It's practical because it has you really reframe your thinking and look at your thinking objectively, giving your thoughts evidence. So yep. it's all evidence-based. It's not, it's not like I feel this or I feel that. It's like, no, no, give me evidence that supports this belief. So it really starts to teach people a tangible tool when they're going to go reach for that bag of chips or the, the peanut butter and jam. And they have that thought, oh, it's, I don't have time, or this is too complicated, or I can't do this. You actually have them say, okay, give me some evidence that you can't do this. Yeah. 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 I, right? I love it. And, and you know, you know, um, CBT third wave, third wave CBT. Is third that wave. a US company or? No, no. It's that is just, well, that's what they're calling the new CBT. So that incorporates mm. meditation and more positive psychology style, um, which is sort of like the, mm -hmm. the new evolution of CBT. Um, but awesome. I mean, you know, our, our, our program, One Year No Beer, what we're doing is heavily based on CBT, mm -hmm. um, um, lots of positive psychology, NLP, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so um, one of the things I was going to say, so we've talked a lot about weight loss and now I want to drill down specifically into the A word. Um, and um, <laughs> What's your A word? <laughs> Uh, the addiction word. Um, now, when we yeah. mention addiction, is um, if you if you if you're out in the real world and you mention addiction, mm -hmm. then people mostly think about the people over there, the, the those people, those people over there, the ones that are on the street and yeah. homeless and whatever, right? So that's yeah. the box you put them in, and yes. they completely disassociate from their reality, their reality that they're completely addicted to work or their smartphones or the games or the gambling or the porn or whatever it is which is 100%. at the beginning end of the A word, we almost need to create a word that is not addiction, but the bit before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's called addictive behavior. <laughs> yeah, or, or um, negative habits or habits, I don't know. But, yeah. But um, so I guess the, the, the question is, and specifically here is, is what sort of things do you see as a common denominator across helping mm -hmm. people um, you know, whether you're at the early stage or um, you're more at the thick end in helping people with the mm -hmm. word addiction. So, so what's the question specifically? Like, what, what do I think is the cause of addiction or do what, what, what do people need to do? That's a great start. Let's start with the cause and that, then let's go okay. on to what do you think people need to do? Yeah. So listen, I, 
I want to be careful and very, I want to be very responsible here because like you said, it's such a loaded, it's such a loaded word and people, you say addiction and they shut down. I'm not an addict. I'm not an addict. So if people are shut down, there's nothing, you can't help they're shut down. So I do think it's about speaking to people where they are. So when I work with CEOs, um, what I find is because they have this drive, this all or nothing personality, this is often comorbid with some level of addiction, whether it's, like you said, addicted to work, a lot of addiction to porn. I see a lot of addiction to sex. I see uh, obviously the drinking, that's just kind of not, you know, that's happening all the time. So, but it's not bad enough that they're out of, like you said, they're not on the street. I think it's, you have to be so careful when you work, when you're working with people with addiction, because like you said, when someone's addict, like when you look at addiction, like someone's homeless and they're on the street and they're an addict, that is like a very different conversation than the one that we're having, which is people who are high functioning, high functioning people in society who are addicted to things. Yes. Is that what we're talking about? Totally. Okay, good. So my my belief and my theory, and it's funny because me and Joe Polish at CHS were talking about this because he loves, he has such a vested interest in the in the world of addiction and his with his own story and everything. Um, we have a very similar belief around addiction as childhood trauma suppressed and not dealt with, period. I, I just believe, like I believe, and that's what the research says. And that's what I see for 15 years in clinical practice. We have our childhood wounds something happened to us as a kid. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean you were sexually violated. It just means something happened. You created an agreement reality in that moment. You made a decision. I am not worthy. I am not lovable. And then you spend your whole life in pain, validating it. And then what is the best way to deal with pain when you don't have other tools? Reach for something that Release makes you it. feel good instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Instant or gratification. Instant gratification because the or pain. Or numbs it out or whatever. Yeah, numbs it out. You know, the pain is so high and you haven't had a spiritual awakening yet. And like, how many addicts do you know who you hit rock bottom, maybe once, maybe twice, I don't know. And then you you have a spiritual, you have your come to Jesus down on, the, on your knees, praying to God saying, give me a miracle, you know, and that's that's when the recovery and the healing starts, I believe. Like, and that's why AA and other uh, NA and all those programs are so powerful. It gives people a sense of community. They've hit a come to Jesus moment. They don't know how they're going to get better, but they know they need to. And that's when the healing starts. And then that's when there's such a wide array of different modalities that work um, around addiction. But the, the key here is, is it people won't heal from addiction if they don't think it's a problem. So if it's yeah. not a problem for them, like how many times have you seen someone smoking a cigarette? Like even these days, right? Like you, you still see people smoking um, and, and you're like, okay, we know that there's actually a causal link between smoking and lung cancer. It's not even correlational anymore. And yet people still smoke. And yeah. so, but it's not a problem for them. It might be a problem for their spouse or their coworkers, or everyone else. But I always say change can only happen when the person it's him, himself or herself feels that the problem is big enough to want to warrant the change. Mm. So you you might have an issue or I might have, I mean, I think addiction, so funny, like when you talk about the dopamine hit from the cell phone and you look at how Instagram has changed its um, algorithm where you can't even see 
you can see how many people liked, but you can't see who liked initially because they were the evidence in the research from Harvard even now is saying that um, with social media, it actually contributes to this downward spiral of happiness. It actually impacts life satisfaction mm-hmm. because if you go and you post something and you then you start looking at how many people liked you, you're it's like a dopamine hit. It's an addiction. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Teen, and, and teens are and are growing up with this addiction. Yeah, they're absolutely. they're getting they're getting socially validated. Like they post a bikini pic, and then they're like, "Who liked it?" Was you know? And so, I mean, that is really scary as a mom to an almost four year old that this is the time we're living in. I hope I hope for all of our kids' sake that there's a regression towards the mean and the pendulum swings another way, but. I think circling back to this addiction piece, I do believe it's childhood trauma that has been um, suppressed or not fully processed and a level of pain uh, and disassociation from self. And we go reach for substances in order to give us love that we are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. Um there's one thing I'm, I'm, I'm formulating in my head, and that's that I, I think we're trying to propose a new model. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new model is that you don't have to go to rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, the new model is that what we're going to do is because you haven't yet experienced enough of the pain to make the one to change, mm-hmm. we're going to try and gamify and, um, incentivize and challenge in a in a in an upfront level to change your relationship with that that behavior mm-hmm. and in doing that we're going to open the door to you then doing the deep work and the cbt and the stuff mm-hmm. that will then remove that and i think that's the prevention model that we are trying we've applied now to alcohol which appears to be working it's being very successful in alcohol that we now want mm-hmm. to start looking at dropping that into the other areas to yeah. see if the same formula works. Can you give me, so what do you mean specific? Can you give me an example of, so I know what you mean by not hitting rock bottom. And I think that, so you're looking at more of the prevention model, like yeah. get, get people before they hit rock bottom yeah. or have them see that it's a problem, point a mirror at them before they hit rock bottom. Yes. So um, how do you do that? So I think, I think if you, if you look at the, the, the thing and whatever it is, so let's say it's, gambling, porn, or alcohol, mm-hmm. we're saying, first of all, you need to get somebody to, to pay attention. And the paying attention could be, are you suffering for headaches? Are you struggling with sleep? Is anxiety an issue for you? Would you like to be fitter? Would you like to be faster? Would you like to be better at work? Uh, would you like more money in your pocket? Would you like to get on with your relationships better? Would you like all of those things? right? Are those things attractive to you? Well, all you need to do is come and do this challenge. And during this challenge, mm-hmm. you're going to abstain or uh, you're going to be given support, community support and peer support whilst you're avoiding that negative behavior, which is actually causing a lot of disruption in your life. But you have not admitted that to yourself yet, mm-hmm. right? You yeah. have not said, fuck, this is really screwing me up. I yeah. need to stop. Maybe you've said that a few mornings. Fuck, I can't remember what I did last night. We all have. <laughs> Right, but 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 you haven't actually yeah. got to that pain point yet. Yeah. So all we're going to do is dress it up as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while we've got your focus, 
Because the big thing about when you start to remove a negative habit is that you build self-worth. You get yeah, a, you get a fulfilling cycle. People are like, wow, you're not doing that anymore. Well, when they're not, you don't go around telling people, yay, I'm not wanking anymore. Well, <laughs> I did during my 30-day um, no masturbation challenge. And everyone just looked at me like, oh my God. You're like, <laughs> like I, was there, I was like, why, do we, why are we so stigmatized by these things? I um, know. It's hilarious. But anyway, so... so so, th- so, so that's mm-hmm. the proposal of the new model. And then we get people to focus on the, on the keys yes. in the back. So I love all that. And there's so much goodness in what you said there. So a couple things uh, is what you're basically saying in positive psychology, there's this thing called the upward, upward spiral effect. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. The upward spiral is you do something positive. You feel good. The feeling then elicits something positive and you're in the upward spiral. And the same thing happens with the downward spiral. But the upward spiral in positive psychology is you layer one good habit over another. The good habit elicits a good feeling. The good feeling elicits a good habit, et cetera. Totally. And that is very much, um, I agree. Like when I look at my weight loss program and how it's designed, it's similar in that people are coming to lose weight, but what they get is so much more. Mm, we teach yeah. them mindfulness. We teach them breath work. We teach them cognitive reframing. They other addictions come through. To your point, that's my. That's I think it's so genius because if you, that's, and that's kind of what I was. I, I think we're on the same page here. What I was saying is, is if you just come at people like I work with addiction, ninety five percent of the people are going to be like, I don't have an addiction. I, I don't need to see Adele. Right? Yeah. Um, right. But but what they get in working with us or with you is you're going to discover all those, the awareness and all those shadow sides of yourself. And that comes to light because you don't know what you don't know. Often these people don't know what they don't know. They actually don't even think like objectively, consciously, they don't know. No, they actually just, yeah. They just think that's how life is. They think that you wake up in the morning and you feel like shit and that's normal. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm laughing, but it's awful, but it's true. No, it's it's a laugh of recognition. We've all had those. Like, look, I've got I haven't drank alcohol just as a sort of sidebar. I never, I don't struggle with addiction with alcohol, um, and uh, I just my partner and I, my fiance, like he doesn't care to drink. And so a couple months ago, we said, let's just go dry. Let's just go dry for the holidays. And what's funny is that first few days, again, and I'm not a big drinker, but like I would enjoy a glass of wine at dinner or something. Those first three four days, you're just like you're in that. I want the habit. I want the, the, it's the, it's the whole routine. It's the routine of it. And then about a week or two in for me, I hit this, this, this plat, this place of like, I feel so good. My sleep is better. My skin is better. I have all this energy. My workouts are stronger. I'm leaner. And then you're in the upward spiral. And then it, for me, it becomes challenging to find that middle ground of like, okay, but now I kind of want to enjoy a glass of wine because I can do that. But then you sort of are like, oh my God, but I feel so good here. Most people don't know what it feels like to feel good because in order to feel good, in order to feel bad, you only know what bad is relative to good. But if you, most people that I work with, like when they start working with me or one of my coaches, and they have felt bad for so long. And what I mean by that is their digestion is all fucked up. Yeah. They haven't had a good night's sleep in 20 years. Yeah. Uh, my brother is a great example. I love him. And he's a lawyer and he struggles. Like he's overweight right now. He ha- doesn't sleep well. He's got it's hard. We can't help the people closest to us. <laughs> they, yeah, you can't. I give him all this free advice. And let me tell you something for free. Don't give free advice. It doesn't. <laughs> but anyway, um, he's the, the perfect candidate of like, he's, he hasn't felt, 
he's felt like that for so long that that's his baseline. That's your normal. And then you, you, when you get access to that upward spiral effect of feeling amazing, that becomes addictive in and itself because you're like all my, like all my dopamine and serotonin levels are super separated. I feel great. My sleep's amazing. Like, why would I want to change this? But you, our work is to guide people to the place. Basically what we do is we bring them to the place where let's even give them access to feeling good so they can see it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Make sense. So I, I agree. I think that that model, the prevention model, the upward spiral effect, the layering habits, the, the wake up in the morning and feel awesome for long enough. You're never going to want to feel like shit again because it's like, you don't know what you don't know. That's it. You've got to get people to taste it themselves. Yes. Yes. So, um, and I think we sort of went, went on to, but I want to go on to a bit more is, is what are your, what are your, so once you've identified and, and you, you work a bit on the, on the um, trauma piece, I loved that absolute clear definition of, um, look, if you're, I'm just going to sidestep here. I said to somebody today, I said, do you have a behavior? that you 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 would struggle to stop for 90 days without even just you know just easily like no problem i could stop doing that do you have a behavior because if you do stop doing it because the chances are there is gold behind you removing that from your life 100%. and and the upgrade like the whoa i i did not realize that caffeine porn gambling sugar tennis whatever it is was causing me that 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 trouble until I removed it. Um, so anyway, we talked about the 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 um, trauma piece, identifying the trauma. And I think this is interesting from my perspective because arguably you could look at me and say, you know, I, I don't think I was ever addicted to alcohol. Um, in fact, I know I wasn't. I, I was just very sociable, and it was very much ingrained in my identity and requirement as a job that I would drink. But I never came home and finished off. I didn't gag a drink. You know, I, that wasn't me. Um, but if you look at work, um, and I mean, I've been working since I was 13 years old. <laughs> I still haven't had a. I still haven't had a weekend off. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and I go at the pace of 10 times the speed of everybody else. And, um, you know, that, so, so um, you could definitely say that. And then equally, there's probably some other areas in my life where you could say, I'm, you know, phone is an example. I think my addiction to my phone is way too much. Like the whole business is in there. Everything we, I do is in there. So, yeah. so there's a lot, but, but it's facilitated this addiction. So, yeah, I have done... I've done a lot of work. I mean, I've been in counseling since I was six years old. This has turned into a therapy session for me here. <laughs> I hope this is going to be helpful for people who are listening to it rather than, God, you're really sob on. But, um, <laughs> but, but so, so I've, I've done yeah. um, counseling work since I was six. I've done a lot of this. And mm. I think the reality is I'm in the position now where I can help a lot of people because, like you, you said, I have done a huge amount of work on myself. You know, I can go incredibly deep uh, I've I've uncovered stuff that happened, and 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 they weren't sexual, just to be clear. But I'd, I've uncovered um, you know stuff in my in my in my past and childhood, and all these things that came up to the forefront through this work. Some through meditation, some through else. Great, but I'm still addicted to my phone, and I'm still a work addict. Yeah. And really, what is the difference? I mean, okay, society says that they're okay, mm. um, so they're functioning stuff. But is there any difference? And I guess the last bit on here is there's part of me that 
doesn't want to get healed. Mm-hmm. Because, because if you were to say to me, Ruri, if we really healed you, you mm-hmm. wouldn't be building this business now. Uh-huh. And I'm uh-huh. not going to change millions of lives. Yeah. And, and okay. that would totally. be great sadness to yes. the rest of the world. <laughs> okay. Pause because that is freaking gold. <laughs> so that, no, and that's insight in and of itself. Okay. So I have so much to say about that. So we you have so much to say about everything, Adele. Come I, on. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine I was like, I don't know what to say. You'd be like, do you have a fever? I'd be like, probably. So, um, no, I literally have a client I'm working with who this is an exact thing. So we have a belief. We've been conditioned to believe that success comes at a cost. There's always a cost associated, like work hard. You got to sacrifice this. Everything is something, a tit for tat. Okay. I'm only, if I, let's say if I heal that part of myself, let's call it your drive or ambition, whatever label you've called it to make it okay, that I'm not going to be effective anymore in my leadership in the world. I think that's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Okay. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. (laughs) I get it because you, that shadow side, you, you've done enough work where you can trick your ego, believe that that shadow side, shadow side of yourself is still working for you. Okay. But I believe that that shadow side of yourself is still a limitation and that if you healed that imprint in that wound, you would actually have access to helping people from a place of love and not from a place of fear because our imprint technology is all fear-based conditioning. So you can build from ego. Look at Donald Trump. Look at leaders in the world who have built from ego. You know what I'm talking about. Lots of them just read ego as the enemy. Great yeah. Be, so billionaires, a lot of people in the world have created amazing success. Steve Jobs. But at what cost? Cancer, loss of relationships, no joy and fulfillment, addiction, whatever. What I'm, what I'm saying as a different model to look at, and this is the model I inherently believe, is heal your trauma, heal the world from a place of love not from the shadow side of your ego. So this, this client that I've been working with for a few years is a CEO, massive guy, incredible guy. When we started working together, he said the same thing. I'm afraid you're going to make me too nice and I'm going to lose my edge. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Struggled with all kinds of addiction. I got, I said, thank, thank you for putting that so we can move that aside now because that was the elephant in the room. If I lose my edge, like Rory, your, your thought is, that that drive that like incessant need to do better be better for to serve is still in the construct of the ego the ego believes one at the expense of another the the concept of love and wholeness is that you can be whole perfect and complete and you can come from love and you can heal yourself and then only then can you truly resonate that and heal the world i believe that so this this specific man i'm talking about we've worked together for about a year and he's worked through a lot of this, this childhood stuff and the addiction piece. And what do you know? More money in the business, better healed the relationship with the wife that was going out, the, 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 like healed the relationship with the kid. There's so much access that he got. And we laughed the other day because he said, remember when I said, I thought you were going to make me too nice. And he's like, I was resenting the shit out of you because you were basically telling me that that part of myself that I've known and loved and identified with I had to get rid of that. Mm. So my invitation is to say, I don't, listen, this is just my, my, like my theory and it, it's not necessarily true or not true. And there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I though think that 
you can build from ego, but that always comes at a cost. Always. I don't know one example of someone that hasn't come at a cost. So why not explore this other model of healing yourself and not, and here's the thing about when people that do a lot of work and you're an example of that. And you said, like I said, I've done all this work and I'm still struggling with certain things. Right. And I would say that when you've done a lot of work on yourself, and I say this in recognition, cause I'm, I, I've done this too. You can sometimes trick yourself. Like, you know how to pl- the game, the game, like, you know how to play the game a little bit. The other piece is sometimes in your subconscious mind slowly releases new information. So just because you did this work a year ago, doesn't mean it won't be different if you do it now. Does that make sense? Agreed. So I think that you're never, you're not stepping in the same river twice and you're not the same person you were a year ago. You're not the same person you were two weeks ago. So my invitation is, I don't know if you've tried something and it hasn't worked, try something else. You know, why do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? I think that's good. I think, I think, um, you know, everyone out there can apply that as well to them because I think when, when, when you look at, um, even counseling experiences that have been in the past and say, Oh, well, counseling didn't work for me or, um, Mm -hmm. meditation. I tried that. I spoke to somebody today and she was like, no, you'll never get me to meditate. I can't meditate. And I'm like, well, technically speaking, you're (laughs) expecting yourself to be able to swim when you've never been near water or ever seen water in your whole life. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're expecting to do 50 lengths on, on the get go. That's never going to happen. Like go into it, practice, Mm -hmm. you will get there. So having a different change, um, um, or thinking about it again. And I think, so, so for me, you know, there's, there's a, there's a back to me again. (laughs) 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 No, but the reality is the the reality is this, this business, this organization is a reflection of me. I, 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 and, and, and so sometimes it's quite chaotic. Um, and it, and it, um, but, but I realized um, you know, a year or two ago that it, I needed to do a lot of work. Um, and I think I, you know, same thing again, reasoning is that you, you get to these levels, you get to these barriers and the level appears again and the pain grows great. And you're like, why is this pain coming on to me again? And I'm like, oh my God, the pain is getting re- really intense. And that's then when you go into a next shift and a next gear. Um, oh, Yes. A hundred percent. Like that is, that is actually consciousness. That's how you evolve. Like it's always like the, when they say that expression, uh, the detox, like the crisis, the detox uh, healing crisis is it feels worse before it feels better. It's, it's dark before it's light. It's, it's always darkest before it's dawn. It's all a metaphor for like, literally when you're fighting with the ego, it's like, you're literally, and then when you surrender, you upgrade you like, I literally, I've had this conversation with clients recently because I, like I just said, in the last two years, I've done so much work on myself. It's been uncomfortable as hell. Because by the way, PS, it's not comfortable to up level. It's comfortable to stay where you are. It is not comfortable to grow all the time. Yeah, it's uncomfortable until it's amazing, and then you said next level evolution. Your subconscious gives you more information to work at trauma you thought you dealt with. No, not entirely. Here we go again. And when you resist it is when it persists and it, it, it's hard. But when you surrender and say, my reframe on that, and when I work with clients, I say, when you're feeling like the shit has hit the fan and you're in a breakdown, just surrender because the breakthrough comes after the breakdown. Just know you're in an up level. Like I had my own breakdown two weeks ago. I literally was like, I said to my fiance, 
I'm done. I quit. <laughs> like, Wait, what? I said, I don't know. I'm just over it. Like I'm done. I don't, I don't want to grind. I'm done hustling. Like I'm done with all this shit. I just want to spend time with my son and go to my Pilates classes and just like go have coffee. I'm done. And I was in a massive, I was confronted my ego. Like I was confronted. I'd done a lot of work. And then, you know, often he said, what would you tell a client? And I said, the breakdown precedes the breakthrough. And what do you know? Like a week or two later, something opened up for me. Um, and so I think my point in saying that, but to what you said is like, you, as you expand and you grow, your subconscious gives you more information that it feels you're ready to receive because your subconscious mind wants to keep you safe and alive. It's not going to give you stuff that you can't handle. So there's, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing that as you evolve, just trust the process that you're getting information and insight that you need to up level. Mm -hmm. And that's why saying I've done therapy once it didn't work is, doesn't make any sense. That's, that's just, that doesn't even cognitively make sense because Maybe you just didn't have access to what you needed to the other point around meditation. I hated meditating. Like I remember I could barely sit still for five minutes in meditation. And now I do. You I do. probably tried to talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was just like, well, you get rabid brain. You're like, oh my God, my to-do list. I have what did I have for breakfast. It's just the way the mind works. And now I can sit for two, two 20 minute sessions a day and all that kind of fun stuff. So I think catching people where they are in their journey and um, yeah, is, is so important. And I, and I just basically said that because what you were saying about that consciousness and that, like, just feeling like sometimes you're just fighting against yourself. And I have clients say to me, I, when is this going to get easier? Like I thought I had reached that, that thing. And I said, I don't know anyone other than maybe the Dalai Lama who's reached that level of enlightenment. Like our, we're soul, we're souls having a human experience here. So mm-hmm. the soul and the love, that level of self, it's an evolution and it takes time. So, you know, having humility and saying, I'm just learning to have this access to the highest version of myself while I live here on earth. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a consciousness and a paradigm shift towards that in, in even in the personal development space right now. Absolutely. Um, I can't believe I was just in a conversation where somebody else mentioned the Dalai Lama first. Yeah, that's funny. That's, there you go. That's normally that's normally my mention when I tell everyone, you know, I met the Dalai Lama. Did you? <laughs> yes. Oh yes. my god. Yes. I had the chance to meet the Dalai Lama through um, through one year no beer. And that's when I knew my purpose. That's why I knew what I was here for. And um, yeah, so that then led me to hand in my notice as an oil broker and get fully into into growing one year no beer. It's so profound. Um, mm-hmm. Always fantastic to chat to you, Adele. And um, we will we will definitely have another one. Um, so we've got to schedule in a five-hour one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to talk so much about myself, but I just I think the I think there's a real real key takeaways there, and that is um, ultimately if you're feeling that there's a, a addiction or even if it's just at the gentle end of that the A word, you know, where there's a behavior that you're struggling with that mm. you that looking at over 90 days you think you would struggle not to do, then it's probably coming direct. In fact, it is coming from traumatic experience in your childhood doing the work on that and there's there's multiple avenues cbt but meditating cbt combining those two 
is yeah. incredibly powerful. So you know, seek a seek a CBT practitioner or somebody um, who can who can help you locally, or absolutely reach out to Adele because yes. she's awesome. <laughs> um, and um, thank you. What's what, what? What are the what are the other really? Oh yeah, so we talked about weight loss. We talked mm-hmm. about all the bits and pieces of addiction. Yes. Um, growing the pain. It's been amazing. It's been awesome. Thank you, Thank you so much for your it's time. So awesome. Any other last bits you'd like to add in? Yes, I, I would, because as you said, it just triggered a thought that, and this is something that a lot of people can identify. I mean, most of us are even addicted to a certain thought pattern, a cycle of feeling like the victim or feeling sorry for ourselves. Like that's addiction too. Like a thought cycle of, oh, I can't poor do this. Me. That poor me. That's addiction. So, so we need to broaden our understanding of addiction or that, that let's call it negative behavior or, or, you know, an area of your life that's not working for you, however you want to name it. But I think anybody, everybody could, could benefit from working with a CBT practitioner, learning how to be more mindful and meditate, even if you don't have a problem, like this is, it's not about always being like, let's solve a problem, but how about looking at how can I uplevel myself? How can, how can I upgrade my technology? So even if you're not struggling with an addiction, but you're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm looking for an upgrade. Yeah. CBT, meditation, mindfulness, all that kind of stuff, because even a negative pattern or loop of thinking is probably limiting you somewhere. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And um, so where does everybody reach you? You can find me at uh, adelwellness.com. So A-D-E-L-E wellness.com. You can also find me at the CEO blueprint.co, CEO blueprint.co. So those are two, two websites. This, the Dell Wellness is for weight loss and the CEO blueprint is to work with me. If you're a leader, a CEO, uh, all around the addiction, uh, addiction and mental health piece uh, and just up leveling our, our leadership, really. You are absolutely amazing. Uh, <laughs> so are you. Hearing- You'll be hearing more from Adele, I promise you. Thanks, Adele. Yes, Good to thank speak you, Rory. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One year no beer.com.